Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats, and welcome back to this very special debate month here on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Five Mondays, five debates, celebrating my birthday. By the way, just turned 41. Great way to celebrate my birthday is by joining the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you get access to all of these debates beforehand. Patrons get to see the live editions of these debates before they get released here to the public. Also, this entire month of debates is sponsored by Top Lobster over at TopLobster.com. Top Lobster makes the absolute best Liberty gear imaginable including this killer legalized freedom hat uh, as well as the scott horton and the war shirts that i have in my collection some great stuff over there toplobsa.com you're going to want to use discount code roar for 10 percent off your order and again you're gonna want to get early live access to these debates please head over to patreon.com slash lions of liberty toss me a little birthday present help us achieve the dream of podcasting full-time by supporting us on patreon and joining the pride at patreon.com slash lions of liberty Empower people with not just the philosophical tool, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real world application from the top minds in the Liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We should be live. We are live, in fact. Uh, live anyway for patrons of Lions of Liberty, the Lions of Liberty Pride, who are the lifeblood of this program. I thank each and every one of you. And funnily enough, we have two of them here. You guys are actually paying to be on a show that's live streaming. I don't know what you guys <laughs> I don't know what you guys are thinking, but um, I am pleased to be here hosting today's debate with, like I mentioned, two members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, two Patreon supporters. Uh, and not only that, they are the debate participants today. Uh, I am pleased to welcome, firstly, she is the chair of the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles. Uh, she is also running for the chair of the Libertarian National Committee. She is the one and only Angela McArdle. Angela, are you ready to roar? I'm ready to roar thought you would be uh we also have um he is not running for chair of anything that i know of but he does want you to stop being poor and he does co-host king pilled uh, i'm pleased to welcome back matt erickson matt are you ready to roar i am indeed very ready all righty then in that case uh i will lay out the foundation of the debate the resolution we're going to be talking about today is a quite a simple one could go in a few different directions. It might really much, very much depend on how you define some of the words and exactly where we're trying to go here with this whole thing. But the resolution that we will be discussing today is simply, we need another Ron Paul revolution. Angela will be taking the affirmative. Matt will be taking the negative. You know how this goal goes. There are really no rules here. I trust you guys to be respectful of each other. So that being said, uh, I'm going to start with Angela, who is taking the affirmative. Angela. Why do you believe we need another Ron Paul revolution? Well, let's go back in history. I would say that there were really two moments in Ron Paul's career that reverberated across the country and shook me personally to the core. And they are the what if speech Dr. Paul gave uh, to Congress in 2009 and his Giuliani moment during the 2007 presidential debates. And those statements that Ron Paul made are like 
there are moments in time that are permanently embedded in my psyche and like countless other people, they rewired my brain in a radical way and woke me up to the evils of the state took me from just like, you know, I think I'm a libertarian to like, Whoa, I am so totally invested in this. And in spite of being sabotaged by the GOP and hated by neocons and the mainstream media, the Ron Paul revolution inspired a groundswell of Liberty activism that I don't think we've seen in this country since its founding. Ron Paul woke up thousands and thousands of people to the message of liberty. And we were so moved by Ron that some of us have toiled together for the cause of freedom for like 14 years. It's been a real journey. And there have been highs and there have been lows. And I'd say, you know, maybe right now we're in a little bit of a low. We're in a low because of lockdowns and because so many people around us have ceded their personal freedom to the state, maybe out of terror or anger or just apathy. And there are people in libertarian circles who've given up hope. They believe that people don't want freedom, that people are happy to be slaves and snitches for the state so long as they're fed and entertained. There are people who believe that most Americans have bought into mainstream narratives about coronavirus and that people want to be locked up. And I get it. They cite polls that say 70% of Americans approved of the lockdowns. They point to the state of our totalitarian government as evidence that the Ron Paul revolution has failed and that we'll never succeed in waking up the masses. Well, I'll ask you this. How many people listening to this debate right now were touched by the Ron Paul movement, by one of his presidential races or an event of his, by one of his speeches like the Giuliani moment, by one of his books? Maybe it was years after he ran, but you heard about him and you watched one of his videos. You heard about the Mises Institute from him or Tom Woods, libertarianism. You questioned what you heard on the news because of Ron Paul. How many of you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Ron Paul revolution? I'd say the Ron Paul revolution planted the seeds of liberty in, I don't know, countless hearts and minds. It awakened the thirst for freedom that we saw sweep across the country in 2008 and 2012. It inspired things like Students for Liberty. Young Americans for Liberty, the Mises Caucus, and many of the liberty movement's best messengers. The Ron Paul Revolution didn't just reach out to libertarians. It united the anti-war left, anarchists, conservatives, hippies, radicals of all kinds. And within two presidential cycles, it created an infrastructure of liberty activists that were able to spread the message of freedom and support liberty-minded congressmen like Justin Amash and Thomas Massey. It was the first wave in a movement. And it pushed two radical ideas, now obvious. Wars for empire are destructive and antithetical to liberty, and the Federal Reserve destroys the value of the dollar. We, me, the Mises Caucus, many people, we're the second wave in the revolution. And our rally cry is to oppose lockdowns and the war on COVID. We are the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. Most of us agree that Ron Paul was just too perfect of a person uh, and a candidate. And we can never fill his shoes. None of us can be a country doctor who delivered thousands of babies in our congressional district. I don't know if any of us alone can ever measure up to the standard that Ron Paul set. And that's why it takes a team of us now. That's why the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 is a slightly different iteration. You've got Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Scott Horton, Maj Touré, Gene Epstein, Michael Bold, Michael Heiss, uh, all of us, Mark and Brian too, Lions of Liberty. Every single person I listed is like a general in the Ron Paul movement. 
and we are engaged in a serious battle of ideas. It's like the forces of light and darkness in this country are clashing violently right now. And it is not in our best interest to retreat under cover of black pill darkness because only light chases out darkness. And I think it's our duty to shine a light on this tyrannical hellscape that we live in and usher people towards freedom, not to hide our light under a bushel. This is our purpose. And if you think all is lost, if you think the world as we know it is about to slip forever from our grasp, I counter you with a notion that mainstream narratives are crumbling. People are not all getting the vaccine. People are not all staying indoors. People are not all complying with mask mandates. Viewership of mainstream news networks is at an all-time low. Viewership for alt media that openly questions the COVID regime is at an all-time high. And it's growing. For those of you who think that things look hopeless, that we're in the blackest period of American history and that our freedoms are all but lost, I'll counter you with this. I believe we are witnessing the state fight its very hardest because it is on the verge of crumbling. And now is the time to assemble the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. Why do we need this Revolution 2.0? People are clamoring, just clamoring for a way out of tyranny and the propaganda nightmare that we're all living in. And there is a very real demand for us right now. There is such a demand for liberty. It's happening. The Ron Paul slogan like sums it up perfectly. You can't stop an idea whose time has come. And it's happening with or without you. The question is, do you have the vision and clarity to be a part of it? The Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 is happening. And the question isn't really whether or not we need it. The question is, why would you try to stop it? Thank you very much, Angela. Angela has made the case for Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. So Matt, why you got to hate? <laughs> why do you take the <laughs> negative? Why, why do you believe we do not need a new Ron Paul Revolution? So I'll start off by saying that that uh, I actually uh, volunteered this resolution specifically because um, the first thing we'd kind of talked about was um, something along the lines of of uh, you know what, why why we should take over the LP or, or something to that effect, which is a, we all agreed that was a conversation that's been had so many times. We kind of wanted to take a little bit of a different spin on yeah. it, and uh, so I I. The reason I, I, I submitted this as a possibility was because I think this gets at the heart of the the Mises Caucus efforts. I think this is the the the, the, the purpose isn't take over the LP. The purpose is reignite the Ron Paul Revolution. So that's why I that's why I I, I, I picked what I did, um, and that's the idea that I wanted to defend. And the reason I want to defend that is because I think that uh, the Ron Paul Revolution was a failure. And I think it was a failure by uh, any reasonable metric that you would use to evaluate it. Um, when you when you look at the 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 movement as a political movement, what were its goals? Were its goals to um, were, were its goals to get a lot of people to hear about an idea, or were its goals to actually create liberty, actually move us in the direction of liberty, actually free people? actually provide people with freedom rather than just tell them what freedom sounds like. And by I, you just have to look at since the Ron Paul revolution to now, the um, average American's liberty has decreased tremendously. And I understand that might sound like a post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy that it came after it. Therefore, it was because of it. But we're dealing with the realm of politics. If you're going to get involved in a political movement and you're going to enter the political arena, it needs to be because the actions that you are going to take are going to tangibly 
move the ball toward liberty. And if, after you've made your actions, the ball does not move toward liberty and, in fact, goes very sharply in the opposite direction, that should be a, a, a clue that uh, whatever was done did not have the intended outcome. And I don't know if that's because you could say it's because of the futility of, um, you know, it's because it was just so small. We needed more people. We needed to get more people involved. And that's kind of the premise. That's sort of the premise here is we need to get more people. We need to get more people bought into this, into this idea. We need to get more people talking about this and we need to get louder and we need to get in front of more eyeballs with the assumption being, if we do that, then uh, things will, our our reputation will, will increase and more people will want what we're selling. But I don't see the evidence for that. Libertarians in general, to the popular consciousness, have a far worse reputation now than they did before the Ron Paul revolution. Before, they didn't have a reputation. They were irrelevant. They were no, nobody even knew who they were, knew what they had to say, or, or, or they, they, the, the term basically didn't exist within the popular consciousness. Now the term exists, and it has a distinctly negative connotation. Typically, when it's brought to the average person's attention, it's coupled with white supremacist and domestic terrorist and Nazi and fascist. It's mentioned in that same breath. That means that the average person is going to have that perspective naturally. So then if you go and you be yourself, but even more provocatively, even more in their face, you're not going to change that perspective. You're not going to make that perspective different. So what I've said in the past is that um, that, that the reason that libertarianism is not more popular isn't because people haven't heard of libertarians. It's because people have heard of libertarians and they don't like them. They don't like what they stand for. They don't like the way that the ideology manifests itself into the real world. If the ideas were as good as they su- supposedly are, then there would be a natural energy that builds. People would naturally come to them and seek them out on a large scale. But they don't because the idea isn't compelling to people. People don't want to be libertarians. And this is a realization that, that, that um, people had long ago. H.L. Mencken said the average man does not want liberty. He just wants security. He wants to be safe. So since the Ron Paul revolution began, yeah, lots of people have become libertarians. Lots of people have, have um, joined the Libertarian Party or started listening to libertarian podcasts or started talking to other people about libertarianism. But that hasn't had any effect on the actual world around us or any positive effect. And this is because the problem here isn't a popularity problem. This isn't a, this isn't a, a, a populism issue. This isn't a, you need to get the majority of, of people on board. You need to get the majority of people bought in to this ideology because that's not how human groups arrange themselves. The majority never rules. Majorities don't rule. This is one of the key insights of the Machiavellians, the book by James Burnham. What, and what he points out is what Pareto pointed out, which is that societies always circulate around their elites. There is always an elite group within the society that directs the rest of the society. This is the 90-10 distribution that, is, that shows up all across human, human societies. And uh, 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 what's his name? George Carlin got at this when he said um, that the average person, if you, if you want to understand the problem with politics, just realize that, uh, think about how dumb the average person is and then realize that half, half the population is even dumber than that. When you get people in large groups, you get people in groups of, of significant uh, scale, 
the bigger the group gets, the worse the decision-making becomes. Because human beings, like they move to the mean when they get into a group of people. So they ultimately become very, very easy to control. And what we live in now is one of the most sophisticated propaganda states of all time. One of the most sophisticated mind control devices of all time. And the vast majority of people are um, essentially mindless automatons who are bought into the system because the system gives them things that they want. The libertarian message, when presented to them, comes off as the thing that gives you what you want should be taken away from you. And they, they don't want it. They don't, they're not buying it. And they're not going to buy it. They never will buy it because that message will never appeal to sufficient numbers of people. Now, it might sound like there's a contradiction here. It's like, well, okay, so it's not going to appeal to the majority, but it's minorities that always direct the rest of society. And that's true. But it's, minor, it's, it's minorities who are strategically savvy and who put themselves in position to influence large numbers of people. Another word for influence is power. If you want to redirect the, the, the direction of society, you need to have power to do that. And power is not bought and sold through politics. This is the fundamental um, uh, delusion of the idea that, that, that liberty is something to be sold to a political audience. Liberty is something that is not, gonna, is not something that anybody's ever going to buy in the political sphere. Because when they go to the political sphere, when they go there to, to, to engage in a transaction where they say, I'm going to give this very special thing of mine a vote, I'm going to give it and I want something in return. The, the, the reason people go to that sphere is because they want someone to make them safe. They want someone to protect them and to give them something. So if the, liberty, if the libertarian political message taken into the libertarian arena is not, we're going to give you something, it's here's all the things that are bad and need to be taken away. But without offering something in return, it's, it's the wrong product for the wrong audience. Now, lots of people, when they hear, um, when they encounter liberty in the right way, in the right context, then they're like, oh yeah, that actually sounds really good. That's something that I, that I would really like. And that context is always in an inter on an interpersonal basis. It's always somebody that I know. There was someone that I know that said, hey, you should go listen to this and hear this. And you get that social credibility. That's the way that these sorts of messages spread. So if you want to make the liberty message a popularity thing, if you want to, if you want to try to get lots of people bought in, the way to do that isn't going through corporate media. It isn't going onto the platforms of the very people who have tagged you as domestic terrorists and expecting that your message is going to get to the intended ears as it's intended. That's, that's lining up for the slaughter. That's putting yourself directly into Sauron's eye without the ring of power, without actually having the ability to defeat Sauron. Ultimately, the reason that I think that there shouldn't be a, another Ron Paul revolution, that we don't need another Ron Paul revolution, is because I think the Ron Paul revolution significantly underestimates the power and evil of the current regime. And attempting to sell a Ron Paul revolution through the political sphere is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. We don't need to reform the current system. We need to build the new one. We need to build the next system. This is the way the market functions. If you, if you don't want people partaking in a specific industry, this is basic libertarian thought. You, you create the, alter, the alternative. You create the, the other one. Here, 
pick this instead. The reason that the state exists the way it does today is because of the market. Because when people have the opportunity to decide yes, statecraft or no statecraft, they decide yes, statecraft, and specifically they pick the existing regime. Within the context of the, of the market, it's completely legitimate. People have, have, have taken it voluntarily. You could say, well, they were deceived into it. Okay, well, what massive deception campaign do you have planned? If that's the way that power is taken, then, then what, what do you have planned? So ultimately, the reason that I um, want to have these kinds of conversations with people isn't because I expect the majority of people to buy this, because ultimately the majority of people get sucked into political campaigns. The majority of people within this kind of within this this arena, they they ultimately go into political campaigns because it's it's like crack. It's so compelling. It's so appealing. Reality TV is 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 addicting, and people want to get involved in it. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to tell. Ultimately, I'm not trying to tell the LPMC that they shouldn't shouldn't do this at all. Because I don't think that, that there would be any point in doing that. I don't think that they would listen to me. I don't think that they would, they would give, pay me any mind. The, the people I want to get the attention of are the people who are already kind of thinking along the same lines as me. I want to get the attention of those people and try to get them not to, 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 to redirect their focus into something more productive, to redirect their focus into building the, the, the new society that will ultimately rise from the ashes of this one. If you view, if you, if you survey the cycles of history, it's very clear that we're in the middle of the collapse of a regime and attempting to save that regime from within is, uh, is really just volunteering yourself to be the first people lined up on the boxcars. And I don't want to see people who I care about, whose, um, whose ideology I have a lot of affection for. I don't want to see those people pursuing such a futile, uh, avenue. I want people to get reinvested in something that will have a lasting impact, not just going from, from uh, campaign cycle to camp campaign cycle, but actually building something that will last, actually creating communities that can um, provide value to people, to provide value immediately to people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis, and, and to bind them together so that they can, as, as like a lifeboat, to ride out this regime. So the last thing I'll say is just that... Um, to make this clear, I, when we've had these kind of conversations before, um, it'll seem like goalposts are moving all over the place because um, like I'm moving goalposts all over the place because I have so many different problems with this at each point. So it's like, you've, if you change the subject, I'm okay, oh yeah, I've got an argument for that too. You know, <laughs> I have, I've, I've thought about all these different things. So the, the, the point I want to make here is that number one, I think it's not a problem to be solved through politics. The problem of liberty is not going to be solved through politics. It will be solved in spite of politics. The politics is out of our control. It will never and never been in our control and it will never be in our control. And the best thing we can do is solve the problem outside of politics. Even if it was a problem to be solved in politics, it wouldn't be something for electoral politics. The area where you can actually make a difference is in lobbying. Occasionally you might get into electoral politics, but the, the place to be would be lobbying if you're going to get into the political process. But then even if it was an electoral process or a problem for the electoral process, then I would say the LP isn't the best vehicle for that. The GOP would be. And then even if it was um, to go one level, one level deeper than that, even if it was a problem for the LP, then I would say not the national level. You don't want a national level campaign because it's a waste of resources. You're volunteering yourself for Sauron, for the eye of Sauron without adequate protection for it. And ultimately, 
if your goal is to get something done at the local level, which is what really matters, then a really big, loud public campaign that gets you on everyone's radar and volunteers yourself for all of the worst headlines possible, that's only going to compromise work at the local level. Work at the local level needs to be under the radar and a big national campaign runs against that. So, so on a technical level, my issues with this are, are at all different levels. All right, guys, I got to take a quick time out to tell you about our newest sponsors, Paloma Verde CBD. I am so excited about this sponsorship for a number of reasons. One, CBD is a freaking miracle. CBD has helped me with so many things in life from insomnia to joint and muscle issues. You know, I'm old, guys. I just hit 40 last year. I'm almost 41, almost 40 freaking one. I can use CBD. It really helps me out a lot. And uh, Vanessa and Carlos Abelar, who run this company, Paloma Verde, they are an awesome libertarian couple, the kind of couple you want to support in life, just like you want to support this podcast. Well, guess what? When you purchase your CBD from Paloma Verde over at PalomaVerdeCBD.com, you get to do it all. You get to support this amazing family. You get to support uh, my Latin American community. Of course, I married into a, a Mexican family, so I'm, I'm essentially a Latin American at this point as well. Uh, You get to support the Latin American community. (laughs) And uh, you also get an amazing product. Not only all of that, you get to support this podcast at the same time. We, of course, get a kickback from these sales and you get a huge discount by using our discount code. That discount code is ROAR, R-O-A-R. Use that discount code at checkout and you're going to get 25% off your order. 25 freaking percent off your order. And they have awesome stuff. Like I said, my favorites. I have them right here, actually. These uh, premium CBD gummies. These are legit. And I'm not kidding. The the only bad part about these gummies is that they're so delicious that I kind of just want to eat them all at once. And you really don't need to eat all that CBD at once. Um, The gummies are delicious. These amazing salves they have. I tried one of these salves on my neck. I got a neck issue, guys. My neck's always sore, always hurting me. This salve, it is freaking magic, the salve that I use. You got to check out these products. As I chew on, as I choke on the CBD gummy, um, check it all out. PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Do not forget to use discount code ROAR for 25% off your order. does have to be an order over $75, but guess what? You also get free shipping over $75, so you're going to want to do it. Check it out. PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Discount code ROAR. All right, so we have laid out the case. You've each laid out the case for it against a new Ron Paul revolution. I have a couple different areas I kind of want to explore with both of you. We'll see where it goes. Uh, I want to start by asking you, Angela, to address something Matt had said earlier that even if the Ron Paul revolution, paraphrasing here, of course, had created many more people who were interested in these ideas, who were talking about these ideas, who were debating these ideas on podcasts, for example, um, has it actually led to more liberty? Matt is arguing it has not. Quite the opposite. We have seen less freedom in our lives. And it, it, after seeing the last year and a half, it's hard to, at least for many people, to to not see how he can be wrong about the, the facts on the ground uh, in terms of the actual liberty that we've seen in the world. So what would be your counter argument to the idea that despite the fact that more people are, are woken up to these ideas and talking about these ideas, it hasn't actually resulted in the real world change in that direction? I think that we have seen an acceleration of state power towards its inevitable collapse and crumbling. And, you know, one thing that Matt said that I agree on is that we're seeing the collapse of a regime. And even though we have seen the tightening of the state, uh, you know, basically squeezing our necks, we're also seeing it crumble and lose credibility. People are openly ridiculing the cathedral with memes. People are not getting the vaccine. Not everyone's getting it. 
people are not all complying. Secession is at like a 40% approval rate in the country. So while things are getting really bad, people are really waking up to how bad they, that things are. And people are actively like fleeing the country and trying to escape the worst states, like where we all live, California. People are moving to Florida. People are moving to New Hampshire. So are things worse? Yes. But I think they're also improving at the same time. Matt, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I think that there's a... Uh... The, the idea that the fact that the state is crumbling, th- that the idea that that's a good thing, I think gets at the root of of part of the um, where I see libertarianism as an incomplete philosophy, because libertarianism, as currently espoused or or as as popularly considered um, by people within the libertarian community, it's seen it's an anti-state philosophy. It's not a pro-liberty philosophy. It's an anti-state philosophy. And so liberty, the, the subject of li- liberty is reduced to something with respect to the state. And so then it's a kind of an easy, seems like a linear thing that, you know, as the state, or not a linear, but a, 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 as the state goes down, the liberty goes up. And I, this, I, I think that this is a, this, there's no evidence for this at all. And actually, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, that collapsing states are the most dangerous states. Collapsing states are deadly states. The reason that um, totalitarian, tyrannical dictators of the past, the reason that they were murderous was because they were insecure. It wasn't because they had so much power they didn't know what to do with it. It's because they saw people at, behind every corner out to get them. The, if you want a stable, uh, predictable um, uh, uh, a regime that isn't a, a danger, isn't an explicit constant danger, you want a regime that feels safe. And from there, if you like, well, we want less of a regime. Okay, fine. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But the route to go for that isn't to attack the regime. It isn't to hit the regime right where its defenses are the strongest. Because actually, there's a, there's a term that I really want people to, to, to popularly hear and understand. It's called archotropism. And my buddy Andrew from Popular Liberty coined it. And it's brilliant. What it indicates is um, he uses the laws of thermodynamics to illustrate the, the, the mechanics of power. And succinctly, the, the state, whatever the state is, whatever your regime, even take a hypothetical society, your regime will weaponize selective chaos for the sake of, of allowing itself to step in and take orders. So the easiest way you can see this is black markets and the mafia uh, or you know, the, the drug markets, the way that those have functioned. That's a perfect example of archotropism where people are selectively allowed to break the law specifically so that the state can step in and take control and take power. So this, the regime actually uses its opponents against it. It's, it, it's like an, an alchemical machine that transforms opposition to it into more power. And th- if you want it to be less tyrannical, to be less intrusive and less invasive, you have to be, appear not a threat to it. If you appear a threat to it, then you're going to be turned into fuel for it to expand its power. So the fact that the regime is collapsing doesn't bode well for the future. Collapsing regimes are the most, some of the most uh, dangerous and bloody and, uh, and, 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 and just generally bad times in, in human history. So, and, and what I would ask is if the, if the regime is, is collapsing, then why operate within it and try to get people to have a negative opinion about it? If it's collapsing, let it collapse and put yourself in a position to, to at the very least, survive it, if not, if not thrive and profit through it. I'm not I'll let you sure. address that, yeah, directly. I'm, I'm not sure if you if you 
really got a good grasp on what the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 through the Mises Caucus lens is. It's not just, um, you know, create a, a void so that there's a chaotic power grab. It's not just attack things through the political process. Like we do have a community. We do have things set in place. You know, we have we have a strong emphasis on localization. There, there's a lot going on. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I feel like maybe we're talking past each other on some of this stuff. What do you think? All of that, all of that is, it's called the Ron Paul revolution, right? And what was distinct about Ron Paul, his revolution wasn't him as a congressman. His revolution was him running for president. And, yeah. and the conversation, the, 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 the PR, all of the, 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 the public face of the movement is about political campaigns it's about running for office and yet there's this tension where we're going to run for office but we're not going to actually take power to do anything with it we're just going to we're just going to like run for office just i i don't i don't understand that i guess there's an area a breakdown here where i don't understand what like so if we're going to take power take power or or if we're going to run for office run for office to do what run for office to do what so if you're running for office locally that would be to win office and affect meaningful change. I'm talking about the national level. Oh, you have to run at the national level for messaging and to maintain ballot access. But the the national platform is is incredible for messaging. I mean, that's what Ron Paul accomplished. Even even milk toast people like Gary Johnson waked up tons of people to libertarianism, and I'm not like a big fan of his. But it's not all about grabbing power. I mean, you know, like the czar of Russia, you know, Nicholas, like he could tell you how, how that worked out for him. And, you know, same with Gaddafi. Like, it's very difficult to make sure that you are going to stay secure in your power. And that power is just like, and, and just like money, you know, Donald Trump ran this like incredible grassroots campaign with a ton of money and he got elected the first time. And then what happened, you know, like he failed miserably in a second election or bid for re-election he couldn't he couldn't hack it you know he just probably just like cheated out so i feel like you gotta hedge your bets in more than one way it seems like to me it sounded like you just made the case for why for why the lp is a a waste of time because i mean there's no way that the lp is ever going to have the resources or the backing or the political capital of donald trump there's no way that he's ever going to reach that point so yeah I think that's fine because we're not, maybe we're not trying to win like Donald Trump is like, and and if we are, so here's a, here's a big problem that I have with how the libertarian party has done things historically is that we have had a very high time preference as an organization. And we just think like, Oh, we'll run. And then we'll just, we'll just win. And that's not the case. And they have not put in like, they haven't made an investment in a long-term political strategy. And we are intending to do that now. Like that's what we're doing. We're laying the groundwork. But in the meantime, we're much more focused on actually winning local campaigns and lobbying is fine too. Like that's something I really stress in LA County is that, you know, like we're, we're in like, you know, this hardcore progressive kind of communist state. And I think that we should lobby in whatever areas that we can and take small wins, you know, and be incremental. But I don't think that lobbying is incompatible with libertarianism. And I don't think all aspects of Machiavellianism are incompatible either. It really just depends on what doesn't morally bankrupt you, you know, and what you're comfortable with. So I, I didn't, I, go ahead, Mark. No, no, go ahead. You can respond. Oh. 
so I, I heard I didn't I didn't hear what the actual plan is. I heard you say that we have a plan and we're working on it. And to that, I would say it seems like you would want to make the plan before you 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 start like putting it into practice before you start. Uh, you know, there's like a cart before the horse thing. But I, I didn't hear what the actual plan is. What's the what's the you know what's the vision for where we're at where we are in 20 years? Yeah, and that's one thing I do want to like focus on here is when we're talking about. You know, the premise is, do we need a Ron Paul revolution? Uh, I, I know for you, it's yes, Angela. So I think maybe if you could focus on like what for, like what does the Ron Paul revolution 2.0, what does it do? Like, my, I guess that's exactly what Matt's asking. So maybe you didn't. Yeah, didn't absolutely. <laughs> it's to wake more people up. So a lot of people are interested in liberty right now. They're questioning the narrative, even if they're not totally on the right track. So it is to be the messenger, like the shepherd there to guide people to the path to liberty. And in the meantime, use the national use the national platform to get our message out. And while we're doing that, work at a grassroots local level, national helps the local level to actually win local races. And in the meantime, support things like the Free State Project and much smaller secession movements. Matt, if you could just, just address the one aspect of that first, this, just this idea, because it's something that came up earlier, is what is wrong with the concept of using a national platform uh, of, of trying to get as much attention to certain ideas in order to excite people about them in order that to see that those people might be people that then go off and get into cryptocurrency or build that new society that, you, that you're talking about or create platforms where we can discuss these ideas where you can come on and try to convince more people of, of your point of view. What is so wrong with that idea that is seems to be a large part of the premise of the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0? I think that I don't have a problem per se with people getting on large national platforms. I just don't know what the political party. Um, I, I don't. I don't see where the political party provides so much value there that it outweighs all of the downside associated with it. And and then ultimately, again, there's the this the same problem with the. Uh, what's the call to action? Like, what's the purpose of getting out in front of a lot of people? What's the purpose of being on a on a, a large national platform, what are you calling people to do? You're, you're, you said it's like spreading liberty, so like wake people up. Um, but is, is the is the goal to to take over the LP so we can convince not everybody to get vaccinated? Is the like what what what's what's the actual? Um, if you're if you're trying to start a revolution, what's what's the, what's the what's the direction? Where where are you, where are you, what's the pur- what's the purpose of waking people up? Do you want me to define liberty, like personal liberty? I, I, yeah, that would actually, I would say, um, yes. And I would ask you with, along with that, do you have personal liberty to spread? Personal and economic freedom, the ability to control your body, the ability to control where your money goes, the ability to basically, you know, like if you're a hedge knight, who are you giving your allegiance to? Okay. Is and then do, do you reasonable? have... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I, I actually agree with that. I think that's a good, okay. that's a good definition. Do you have Liberty yourself? In what respect? I mean, limited amount. I would like to have more. Considering so when you, when you say spread Liberty, what is the, I, I, I see a, a disconnect here where you have like the step one and then step two and then step three is profit. What's step two. So step one is spread Liberty. What's step two. So step one would be wake people up and help them understand what the concept of liberty is and what can be achieved. Step two would be to begin work at a grassroots local level and, you know, to a certain extent also with agorism and black markets and help people evade the state, help people set up 
uh, local communities where they can be freer, peel back the, the tyranny of the state while setting up a more libertarian framework to live your life and govern yourself. And, you know, step step three, profit, whatever, would be to finally achieve that. And it can be achieved at the local level and at a state level. It would be great to see it achieved at a national level. I don't know what that will look like at the national level. That would be, I think, more than 20 years out. But in the meantime, I think that we're moving towards a secession level at the state. And I don't know that it'll be complete secession, but people will live more autonomous lives. And I believe the Libertarian Party in not its current iteration, but its soon-to-be future iteration, will help to usher that in. Okay, yeah, I still, I still don't. I, I didn't get what um, there's like there's understanding about these things, and then like maybe promoting a, a secession movement or something like that. But I, I don't see where in all of this there's the actual um, change from from less liberty to more liberty, and what. Um, what what role the LP plays in that? There's people getting elected, but then, uh, you know, is like is the goal to take over the political system? Uh, is the goal to become the number two party? Is the goal to play spoiler? And then, you know, what you know, if if you're going to play kind of like uh, like play keep away with the state, like you're going to roll the state back, then how are you going to deal with the fact that? For every you know little step forward that you get, you're going to go get knocked way back because of this like, vastly disproportionate expanse between the state and the people who are fighting against it. I mean, the goal is to push it by any means necessary. It's not going to be the same uniform across the country. There are going to be some communities where it's much easier to make progress, like New Hampshire. There are going to be communities where it's very difficult and people may have to move and abandon it. And then maybe those communities do collapse. But yeah, electoral politics is part of it. And changing people's hearts and minds so that they'll participate in that or at least stop trying to push authoritarianism on us is also part of it. I, I mean... I, what what not, does participate in it mean? Like, does like have more people get involved in working with the LP? In local politics, sure. I mean, through the LP. Yeah, the LP is a support network. It, 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 I, I train people on how to be candidates. I train people on how to read legislative policy. I train people on how to help elected officials who are already liberty-minded. Like, there, there's a lot to it, just like politics. So, I mean, but I'm guessing I, I know that you understand how politics work. I know you do. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to drive at. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to hit the hit the, the, the bottom. I'm trying to hit like the, uh, you know, each each time it kind of seems like it's you're, you're pushing it one step further that that it's kind of like we're going to go through these actions and then um, hope that by going through these actions with these intentions, we're going to get this outcome. But I, I don't. I, I, number one, I don't know what the outcome looks like. Um, okay. I don't know what, and then and then I don't see how the actions are going to connect to actually creating that outcome because the history that we have is it shows that 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 isn't at all what happens. The state doesn't just roll itself back. Yeah, I guess to, just to follow up on that, I I might ask Angela to maybe expound upon 
why if if we've seen less liberty in our lives despite the fact that we're we've created more libertarians or more people that are talking about these ideas with ron paul revolution uh the first ron paul revolution uh we've created podcasts we've created outlets for, to, for discussing these things uh we've even created a lot of individual people who have gotten into these ideas but we haven't really seen that in society at large in fact we've seen quite the opposite so what do you think would be different about the path that you're taking and the path that you'd like to see in a sort of a 2.0 version do you see any differences that that would would take place or that you would want to see take place that would differentiate a uh, revolution 2.0 from a, from the results of a first Rob revolution. I think the situation is very different right now. One is we have a much more powerful uh, information tool at our, at our fingertips. Sure. We had the internet in 2008 and 2012, but we were also beholden unto mainstream media. And that is not the case anymore. Joe Rogan gets a lot more views than CNN does. And so we've got that in our arsenal. And two, you've got, you know, the war on terror, awful, terrible, still going on. Uh, it does not hit. It's not as personal as the war on germs, as I'm calling it. This this is really like ruining our lives. And a lot of people are waking up to that and absolutely hating it, even people who locked themselves down voluntarily. So I think we've got very different circumstances. And I think the political landscape has changed quite a bit. You've got 40 percent of people who believe in secession. Uh, that was not the case uh, 10, 12 years ago. So I think those are some very serious impl implications right now that we are absolutely in need of a Ron Paul Revolution 2.0, and that it is, the time is ripe for it. All those reasons that you gave all to me, the way I read them is those are indications against a, a Ron Paul 2.0. I think, oh, I think ultimately, because the problem is not a, it's not a, a matter of, of politics. Like people, the, the regime doesn't care about the will of its people. The, the regime is not downstream from the will of its people. The regime sure. does whatever it wants to, and it's had this mind control device to keep people pacified and off of its back. But riling people up and getting people antagonistic to the regime isn't going to make the regime back down and go away. It's going to make it worse. It's going to make mm. it ramp itself up. Or it might because just collapse, and then we can bring something new in. What? I, I've been talking about it for a while now, like secession movements moving, you know, like state government, you know, being more important than federal government. I think that that I think we may be seeing that happen. We've already we've seen Governor DeSantis basically stand down uh, vaccine passports at the federal level, saying he's not they're not allowed. So I do think we're moving in a good direction right now. It's okay, just so very yeah, we're, ugly. We're talking, we're talking a high time preference versus low time preference. And what I'm that that's. I think that you're you're right about some of those things in a, in like a high time preference way, but I'm talking like long term. Secession isn't a long term solution. Secession is is well, number one, it's just I mean, uh, economically, it's it's effectively irrelevant because the 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 power center of the of the globe right now that's directing the events of of everything that's happening doesn't care about borders it doesn't it doesn't pay attention to it's not oh you know they, they seceded oh, i can't touch them anymore that's too bad the the and and i don't see where just creating a new uh, uh republican government i'm little r republican just we're going to secede and we're going to have a republican government here i don't see where that um is a, a change or an improvement that to me is just it's just moving stuff around you're still not like tangibly creating liberty and 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 all of this stuff doesn't 
what, what, why do all these things require lots, getting the attention of, of lots and lots of people? Why can't this stuff happen just behind the scenes with political operatives? What's the need for a big political campaign where you're getting people, you're, you're getting people to invest more in politics because you're not going to be pulling people away from other parties. You're going to be pulling people who normally aren't involved in politics and getting them involved in politics. Why are you opposed to messaging about libertarianism? Because it sounds to me like you don't want me to spread the message of liberty and like you don't want me to wake people up to the evils of the state. So if that's the because case, I don't think the, because I don't think you have a valid, valid alternative to present to them. And I think that waking people, I, number one, I think the posture of we need to wake people up is, is really antagonistic. And I think that it's, it's uh, that, that, that position of um, we're the enlightened ones who have all the best ideas and all the secrets. And if only everybody would listen to us, then everything would be better. That is that posture existing from the jump will is that alone would, would tank the, would tank a campaign. But what what I see here is that there's there's like playing playing both sides kind of where it's like well we're going to try to run but we're not going to run really really seriously we're going to do just a little bit and to me the message of libertarianism is not about the state it's about liberty and okay. liberty is something that can be violated by anybody not just the state it can be violated by anybody and to prevent liberty from being violated requires the capacity for force. It requires the capacity for violence. That's what secures property rights. Property rights are secured by a capacity for violence. Sure. So if you're getting into a political battle, what you're doing is you're starting a, you're starting a, a fight that inevitably leads to violence. Like that's, it's on a spectrum. Politics and war are the same thing. Or they're just different points on the spectrum. So if you're getting involved in politics, you're doing it basically to, 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 to I guess I was going to say start the fight, but that's probably not fair. You're joining the fight. But yeah, liberty is, it isn't something you ask for. It's something you create. So if you're going to if you're going to get into the fight, then get into the fight. Go fight. You know, what, like, why does libertarianism even matter? Like, get into the fight. If this is the, you know, if the if tyranny is what it is, then you fight and you get rid of tyranny however possible. So the, I, but, the, but ultimately to, to directly ask to directly answer your question, you said, what's my problem with you? spreading the message of libertarianism. And I think it's because libertarianism, as it's currently being spreaded, spreaded, as it's currently being spread, negatively affects the cause of liberty. Because I think that the way it's being spread, it's packaged with an affect and a posture and um, uh, assumptions about people that people are explicitly hostile to. And so doing it even more just means that people now have to start distancing themselves from liberty because it's like, well, I don't want to be associated with, the, with those people. And at the same time, it's antagonistic to the regime. And if you're going to be antagonistic to, to the regime, at least make sure you win. But if you're just going to kind of nip at the heels and, and try to like kind of tweak this thing here, or you know, maybe we're going to try to just move this border from here to here, all of these things aren't... I don't hear something that's like inventive or revolutionary or... Um, you know, world changing. It's kind of just a rehashing of the same ideas that have been proven ineffective, that don't actually make a difference when they're applied. And so then continually associating libertarianism with, with, with ineffective, futile political movements full of people that nobody likes, that makes it for someone who, who values the ideas of libertarianism, it's frustrating. Oh, well, I think a lot of people do like libertarianism and that people get woken up to it all the time. So I, I'm going to just disagree with you on that one. But as far as it being like 
not everything that you said is incompatible with libertarianism either, or with a Ron Paul revolution 2.0 improving messaging is, is something that I think is really important. And I would absolutely distinguish what we've seen come out of the libertarian party recently from Ron Paul 2.0, which is one of the reasons that I'm so hell bent on taking over the party and reforming it because it's been, you know, such an embarrassment, but there's, there's, it's not incompatible to try to seek out political power that's totally okay. But I'm also not going to lie to people and and be unrealistic about where we're at as far as our infrastructure goes. We're in a startup base. And there have been a lot of revolutions that started, you know, in startup base and with, with poor people. The American Revolution was not, you know, people who were fabulously wealthy. The French Revolution sure wasn't as many as many horrible things as there were about the French Revolution. They did they did pull it off. It's almost like you're saying, stop being poor, Angela. I don't know. <laughs> Every Be poor and lop off the heads. Lop off the heads of your dictators. <laughs> and now we're talking. <laughs> the, the, now we're all talking of those movements were actually, those all involved major members of the aristocracy were the most influential people within that movement. And there's a, there's a reality about, about politics that, uh, that there are effectively three different kinds of government. And really, there's only two. And in effect, there's actually only one. So the three different kinds of government are monarchy, oligarchy, and democracy. And in reality, democracy is actually just oligarchy. So you ha just have of monarchy and oligarchy. And really, when it comes down to it, monarchy is effectively an oligarchy, too, because monarchs are always surrounded by their council. Well, that's a little tongue-in-cheek joke. The, but, but really, what it comes down to is, is monarchy and oligarchy. And Pareto's circulation of the elites demonstrated and, and pointed out this, this nature of how every human society always has a cabal of elites. And those elites are the ones who dictate the direction that the society goes. They fund everything. They direct the culture. They're the ones who drive the bus. Part of this is because of Rene Girard's um, observations on mimetic theory, that people, people are driven by desire, and they learn those desires from other people. And the people that they look to are the people who they want to be. So people naturally create a segment of the elites, and that elite drives the society. Whenever there's a revolution, it's never the poor people overthrowing the rich people or the weak people overthrowing the powerful people by definition. It's always one segment of the elite class rallying the, the popular support of the people as a wielding them as an army to take out the other segment of the elite class and then take the power for themselves. And this is what the American Revolution was. The American Revolution wasn't fought about, oh, you know, we're going to have our, our liberty and, and our, our, our fluffy libertarianism. The American Revolution was about the elites here in the colonies wanted to have power that was being held in Britain, and they wanted to make that power their own, and they wanted to hold it so that they could collect taxes for themselves. And th so, so th there is no case where, where people have, where there's been a, a, a movement that started, like grassroots movement that started and overthrew a regime. And even if it was, why do... Why is the why is the instinct to overthrow the regime? Because overthrowing regimes is bloody and catastrophic and and brutal. So if if you know if we're talking about revolutions here, then from a strategic perspective, not an ethical perspective or moral perspective or anything like that, but just from a strategic perspective, it seems to me that the best way again is not um, trying to reform the system that's collapsing or trying to to grab it and wrestle it and take this like, you know, writhing alligator in a different direction. Rather, it's just clean your hands of it altogether and do something that's actually a long, a, a low time preference activity that isn't, you know, we're planning for two to four to six to eight to 10 years from now, but 
we're planning for 50 or 100 or 500 years from now. Putting our heads down and innovating and, and, and coming up with alternative solutions that don't make us beholden to the state anymore. Once, to, when you get involved in politics, that's because you have a solution already and you're saying, here's our solution. We're bringing it to you to, to purchase, to purchase with your vote. I'm not hearing a solution. I'm just hearing basically our ideas are so good that if enough people hear about them, then, you know, kind of everything will magically get better. That's not what I'm saying. That's definitely not what I'm saying. And I don't anticipate that every single person will buy libertarianism, but I do anticipate that a lot more people will buy it if we wake them up with proper messaging. I don't believe that that is any more condescending or rude than you telling people to just go get money. And there's a lot of poor people who that's not like that sucks, but it's that's not a reality for them. And I wonder. Here's the thing. I'm not. Let let Angela finish her thought and then I'll let you respond after that. I think that. I think that there are a lot of things that you and I agree on, but I also think there are a lot of things that you're pushing about power and political function and how people can get enough power to control government that have never been proven in history. And I haven't actually heard you tell me how, like, give me an example of another time or place in history where someone got enough power that they created a stable, free government. The only three monarchies that I can think of that are absolutely awful would be Monaco, Liechtenstein, and maybe Switzerland. Like England, for example, oligarchical monarchy, disaster. They don't have free speech. They don't have gun rights. They still have a state religion where they literally believe the queen is ordained by God. I'm so not are, is it, are you saying that your goal is to create Liechtenstein? Are you No. What? I'm saying my goal is to create a freer place for us to live. And we're not a hundred percent sure how that's gonna look, but people want it. And I think it's worthwhile to preach the message of liberty and freedom because people are crying out for it and they hate the tyrannical state. And the ones that don't they can they can live in tyranny for as long as they want, but the rest of us are trying to get the heck out of here. Matt, one thing I want to ask you, um, and I'll put this is about the larger like idea of a Ron Paul revolution, but we're also kind of uh, part of this conversation is the specific methods of going about that as well. And I'm just curious how how you would feel differently, or if you would feel differently about the the idea of this Ron Paul revolution 2.0. If it were done, is 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 a lot of the criticism because of the method through the LPMC take over the Libertarian Party uh, strategy? Like, and how differently would you feel if if these same people or a lot of the same people and had the same idea, but really actually used the actual Ron Paul method, took it to the GOP primary, uh, took it through a, the political system where that party does have power? How much of the criticism is is simply the method, and how much of it is would remain even if the method were slightly differently different? That's a really good question, actually. And and like I said before, it's like at each different level here, I have a there's a there's a, a criticism. And so for me, it's a little hard to answer that question just because um, I think that I think there's uh, so even if it was the GOP, I would still have a lot of the same criticism. It would be different because the me- the mechanics of getting involved and in taking over the GOP are just fundamentally different than the LP. But but generally, so I would say to that, there may be strategic value in local areas with the GOP. With the GOP. So like, for example, Tho Bishop, like I think what he's doing in Florida is, is brilliant. And I think that there's a, there's a place for that. But that can't be the fundamental drive for everybody all poured into this one thing. There has to be something else that that's being driven toward. 
basically right now what Tho is doing is playing defense and and uh they're moving toward probably some kind of a secession thing with Florida. That's a, that's I imagine the direction that they're ultimately going to try to go. But even then I don't think that that's thinking long term enough. And I don't I don't fault Tho for what he's doing and I think that I it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get to me quite as much just because there's more possibility for success there um than what I'm hearing out of the LP. But again, I I get back to the same thing that I don't necessarily want to stop people from going there if they're hell bent on it, because I'm I'm not going to try to talk them out of it. But I think that there's a major unsolved problem in the room, which is what is going to replace this regime? There's going to be one. There is always a regime. Angela, you asked about uh, which monarchy do I want to recreate? I don't want to recreate any of them. I haven't said that I want to recreate a monarchy. I've said we have a problem. This is one of the most natural forms of government, and it seems that people are wired for it. So here's a basis upon which we can begin trying to solve this problem. But the problem, the problem has to be solved. And just going and running in political campaigns, to me, means sucking people into political activism at a time when they need to be getting out of it. Okay, so I just fundamentally disagree. I think that it is a really good goal to work on politics at the local level. Uh, I don't think that's the end all be all. I think you can definitely work on ways to hedge your bets against the state. But a big concern for me is if I were to go and join some agorist community, am I going to get ruby ridged? And one of the best ways to stave that off would be to have a local government around me that said, no, we don't support that. We don't want the feds in our state, you know, like the like the Utah bill that Michael Bolden helped get passed to keep the NSA from having access to facilities, things of that nature. Um, I just, you know, I would love to live completely independent of the state. And that's a great, really long term goal. But in the meantime, I want to be safe and I want to replace the little Hitlers and dictators around me with people who are liberty minded. So that's what I'm going to work towards. Just um, on the strategy side of things a, a little more, Angela, I kind of give you the flip mm-hmm. side of the question I, I proposed to Matt, because uh, like part of what you had mentioned earlier are you know, uh, that, you know, part of the positives we've seen in politics, uh, you mentioned, you know, Ron DeSantis and, and what he's done in Florida. Um, you know, of course, Ron DeSantis is a, a Republican. Uh, and you also mentioned secession and then th- those kind of movements, which would take political power within those states. So I, I guess the, the flip side of that same question is why the LP? Why the LPMC? If it's a Ron Paul revolution, why is it not at least attempting to emulate what Ron Paul was doing by going through the GOP, by finding a place where there's already millions of people who sort of, you know, have that inclination that, that you know, Ron Paul, I think, was very successful in that because he was talking to people who, even if the GB- GOP wasn't actually consistent, the people he was speaking to kind of had some of those individual liberty ideas in their mind already. So why not use that vehicle uh, instead of using this much smaller vehicle that has such an uphill battle to climb where, I mean, you know better than anybody how many hours are spent on petitions just to get on ballot access or petitioning just, just to have a seat at the table. Why not use a vehicle that already has a seat at the table? Well, the GOP has more baggage. It's more difficult to take over. It's full of deep state operatives and people who are someone say the LP is too. Hell, hell bent on the war. Well, it's got a handful, right? But it's not completely, it's not as uh, festering with it, like an open wound. The GOP hasn't done a good job of defending liberty historically. There are little areas and pockets where it's done a good job, but overall, like what have conservatives conserved? They have not done a good job. Our debt has gone in a, you know, up into the trillions under them. Uh, it's really gross. They're they're too busy reacting to the left to actually plan and plot their own culture. 
They have completely failed in the culture war. They have failed to take over academia. They failed um, to use their business influence in, in politics for the better. Uh, it's full of blood-soaked monsters. And so the LP route will take longer, maybe, you know, but I'm not sure if the GOP route is doable at all. And we have seen, although, you know, good on the GOP for kicking them out, people like Liz Cheney and, you know, John McCain, like, there are, there are people in the GOP in positions of power who are basically just Democrats with a different letter on their on their name. So those are some of the reasons that I would say no to a GOP movement. All right, guys, before we wrap up here, I got to let you know about one of our great sponsors, our longtime sponsors at Lauren Zotti, Italy. If you are a fan of coffee, if you like a nice fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as I do, you're going to want to check out our friends at Lauren Zotti, Italy. They deliver fine premium Italian coffees right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon supporters of this show. They are absolutely worthy of your support. If that all wasn't enough, these guys do more than just sell coffee. They also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses, help them acquire equipment, acquire financing, everything they need to start their own coffee business, start their own coffee shops. So you definitely want to check them out for that reason, if that's something that's been on your mind. Either way, just fantastic people at Lorenzotti, Italy. Amazing people, fantastic people. You'll want to support them if you're fans of the show. Heck, even if you're not, if you're listening to this by accident. Check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lauren Zotti, Italy. You can find them at laurenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. One aspect I'd like to focus on a little bit more, uh, it's something that Matt brought up earlier. And maybe first, Matt, can you can elaborate on this a little bit because you did mention, you know, that this is like, you know, painting this big target, trying to get the attention, trying to, uh, you know, wave your arms, get on the platforms and draw attention to your movement could actually be very dangerous for a lot of those people, especially in the face of a collapsing state that may lash out at, at any, any threat that it sees. Um, so maybe you could just elaborate because I know you said one thing like this is the, the path to the boxcars. And I think a lot of people watching might think you're being hyperbolic or exaggerating so you could just could you just really maybe further define what you see like literally as the actual danger for people that might get involved in this lpmc takeover rompo revolution movement were it to really get the the kind of attention that i think like people like angela dave everyone involved would hope that it does get the all of the the current encroachments on our liberty today are all motivated by the same broad sentiment and that is that there are evil people embedded in our country who are secretly trying to take over all the institutions so that they can systematically murder every, you know, non-white, non-straight person. That's the that's the motivation. And, the, and it's just an elaboration on the war on terror. The war on terror was just that the, the, the that enemy was outside the country instead of inside the country. So they brought it inside the country now. That's the motivation. That's the fuel for the, uh, this drive toward um, toward vastly more tyranny than existed prior to the Ron Paul Revolution. <laughs> um, and when you are when you when you uh, uh, remind me of the question again, I was just asking you to elaborate on, on what you see as like the actual oh, the clear actual and present danger, danger yeah, yeah, to people that are kind of it were this movement to become very successful. I guess. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the when. When you get involved in politics, right away, you are moving yourself from a category of um, 
someone who is used by the regime, from, from someone who is passively used by the regime to somebody who's actively used by the regime. Once you begin, you get, begin investing your time and energy into it, you become a part of it. When you are um, going through the era of a, of, of a collapsing regime, the people who wind up being put on boxcars the most, um, and you can use that for whatever, whatever whether it's boxcars or, or firing squads or, or whatever the method is, in these eras of, of collapse and chaos and revolution, the people who wind up getting the worst deal are the people who uh, tried to bring everybody together. The people who tried to bridge the gap between both sides and tried to say, no, we need to, you know, here's, we need to resolve all the problems within the regime. You know, we, we need to try to fix everything within the regime. We need to be the ones who kind of like maintain and uphold everything. Those are the people who wind up both sides hate them and nobody's going to look out for them. Nobody's going to do anything for them. When you start getting yourself involved into politics like this, I think that you, it, it's incumbent upon you in this kind of era to ensure that you are effectively untouchable or you have nothing to lose because we're moving into a dangerous era where this propaganda campaign of these people are here, these people are are um, waiting around every corner. They're hiding inside your your schools and your and your everywhere, waiting for their um, their chance at a fascist coup. When that when when tensions begin ramping up, that has to begin. That has to be directed at somebody. It's going to have to be directed specifically towards specific people. This is just the inevitable trend. Inevitably, everything is going to ramp up to the point where it has to be directed at specific people. So there are going to be specific people. They may not be murdered. It may be that through technology, we've evolved to a point where they get put in, in digital boxcars, where they get put in digital gulag, and they become unpersoned effectively. The people who are going to get that first are going to be people who are doing things like try to take over the LP to, tell the, tell the, to, to um, attack the regime on its face. And to go out and try to wake people up to the evil and to the, all the tyranny and everything. Those are the people who are going to get it first. And we've already seen the, uh, um, the, the, the beginnings of this with the former director of the CIA going on and, and specifically lumping libertarians in with domestic terrorists and white supremacists. And that rhetoric is being planted. If you watch the way that the cathedral operates, ultimately, eventually, there's going to have to be a scapegoat. There's going to be a scapegoat. And I think that it's in everyone's best interests to ensure that you aren't the scapegoat because martyring yourself isn't going to, isn't going to, uh, it just isn't a positive strategy in my opinion. So to me, that's the danger. I don't know how close that danger is. I don't know if, you know, six months from now, people are going to be going door to door. It wouldn't be completely inconceivable. It's possible that there's some sort of kind of a release and something doesn't go quite as bad quite as soon. But what that is, is the eye of the storm and the opportunity to get out not to invest yourself deeper into the system and put yourself on the record as I am somebody who actively got involved and actively opposed the regime, act actively made myself an opponent of the party, the capital P party, like George Orwell party. The people who are on the record as the biggest, staunchest opponents of it are going to be the ones who get it the worst. Okay. And, and look, you guys maybe address a couple things there. If you don't mind, I'd like you to address like a, just if you agree at all at any, any level with Matt's assessment of the potential danger and to whatever extent you do see danger, why is it worth it? Or like, how can, how can people protect themselves by being a part of this, this Ron Paul revolution 2.0 and, and keep themselves safe? 
I think there's some potential danger to it, but I also think there's potential danger to just opting out like Matt is saying and, you know, doing your own thing and trying to get wealth and power or, or whatever, just having a family and not getting vaccinated. At this point, anyone who's not going along with the mainstream narrative is potentially in danger. They are already knocking on people's doors. So I don't really see much of a difference. Sorry, Matt, you're on the list with me. You're on this podcast with me, so you're on my list. I'm sorry. You know, it's the Lions of Liberty list. Yeah, we're all we're all on that one. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. We're <laughs> all going to get suicided. There's a reason I said the first, the ones that will be there first. Basically, what you're doing is you're moving yourself up in line. Is is what I'm saying with people that are that are are are, are going the LP route. You're just moving yourself up in line. So if you're if you're going to do that, there better be a really damn good payoff. But I still I, I still haven't heard what the actual payoff is supposed to be. I haven't heard the actual vision of what we're moving toward, of what we're trying to create. I think I've explained it a few times, but I think it, we're just having a disconnect. You know, for me, it's a freer world in my lifetime where I can what does choose, that mean? where I can choose what I put into my body, where someone's not knocking on my door to give me a vaccination, where my tax rate isn't 10 and a quarter percent in the city of Los Angeles, where the state tax is an 11 percent for for income tax. It, those are just a handful of examples. If I can roll that back 20 percent, if I can roll it back 80 percent whatever the metric is, that's what I want to work towards. And I want to keep working in that trajectory. What it, what is that trajectory? What are the actual steps that are taken to accomplish that? So previously I listed talking about running in local election campaigns, getting freer local government. uh, And that's something that is very doable and it happens. We've seen it happened in, Hanford, California, we've seen other areas of the country, you know, New Hampshire is a fantastic example, places where the the tax burden is reduced, Um, property rights are protected through ballot initiatives, through legislation, through whatever, through not growing the, I mean, the, the political process, and then people people using nullification to, to opt out of tyrannical government. And in order to do that, you generally, you know, got to wake people up. Uh, maybe that's not a phrase you like, you know, we could call it something else, helping people to learn, you know, what's wrong with what they buy into. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not really, I don't value a lot of the freedoms that the people on the left value as much as they do, but I still realize how important it is to end things like the drug war. I want to see stuff like that ended. And I'm glad that we're seeing that. That has come a long way since the Ron Paul revolution kicked off. You know, I wish we just had more freedom, not just ending the drug war. To me, it um, just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how, um, it just seems like you've set your sights so low that, okay. you know, that, that a change, a, a, reduce, a reduction in a tax rate is considered more liberty. This is what I meant with the, that when you, like liberty being reduced to, it's just a thing about we have to somehow reduce the state. And the state is all that is considered liberty. To me, I, I, I don't, you're talking about more freedom and more liberty, but to me, it sounds like things are just kind of being, you're just kind of like tweaking pieces and moving pieces around the edges while people are being locked in their homes. And, and you know, I don't, I don't hear like a compelling vision. Like this is the, this is the picture of what the new world is going to look like when, when we've accomplished our, our takeover and when we've won all these, these seats, this is what we're going to, once our candidates are elected, this is, this is the path forward. This is where they're going to take the country. Anybody who wants to follow, this is where we're going to go. This is what it's going to look like. And here's how we're going to take on 
the people who run the world. Here's how we're going to make sure that the people who run the world actually bend to our will instead of us having to, to kowtow to them. Mark, are we are we talking past each other? I feel like I'm making a pretty like articulate, like not get forcibly vaccinated and keep your own money. What am I missing? I mean, at some point, you know, I think we just have to let the the viewers decide, you know, what what they see here. Because at some point, you know, we're probably just kind of banging each other's head together. So maybe I, I could just ask you guys uh, as we come close to wrapping up here: Are there any further specific questions that either of you have for the other that we haven't, you know, fully addressed here? We'll see. And then I'll check my notes, see if I have anything else. But I think we're pretty, we can probably get pretty close to wrapping up. Um, I do. I have a question. Okay, go for it. Matt, what do you think the role of religion, Christianity, worldview is in this? This, argument is, this could be another three-hour podcast, but, but, but about, go for it, Matt. About whether or not you think a Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 is important. Do you think that religion or you know spirituality plays any role in that? I think it, I would have to say, first of all, that I, um, I'm in the process of figuring that out for myself and I'm, I'm becoming very sensitive to the idea of, um, of presenting myself as too much of an expert on, on some subjects when, uh, you know, I may not be, I know, I know more than I think I do sometimes, but I, uh, I'm I'm relearning a lot of what I've known about Christianity. So I'm rediscovering the role that it plays. And that's that actually is what has driven me in the direction that I've gone. So uh, to the extent that it is connected, that my own Christian experience is connected to uh, my perspective on the Ron Paul revolution, it directs me toward understanding the reality of evil. And the historic, the, the Christian story, the, like Christianity isn't just an abstract set of beliefs. It's a historical narrative, and with baked within that narrative is um, an, uh, a, a picture of uh, social cycles and uh, a, a historical trajectory that give me a lot of confidence about the future. I feel very confident about the direction that we're going, and I feel very confident about my own, um, me and my family, and the way that we will be able to to survive what's coming. Um, I don't, I don't really understand your question where it, where it directly pertains to the Ron Paul revolution. It kind of seems like taking two sort of disparate things and trying to put them together. But the, the Christianity isn't just like a belief system. Christianity is uh, an entire lifestyle. The, actually, the idea that, that religion is something that kind of gets, gets put off here to the side and it's just a subset of the rest of your life, that's actually a product of Christian thinkers um, uh, evolving uh, through Western society. And, and, and prior to that, and in most other societies, that wasn't that conceptualization. Your religion was what made you who you are. It was the basis of your identity and how you understood the world around you. And I, I'm beginning to understand the Christian worldview um, from that perspective after having spent my entire life as a Christian, not understanding it at all. So I don't know how it connects exactly to the Ron Paul revolution. It seemed a little oblique to put those together, but did I, did I answer satisfactorily? I think so. What I was really driving at, I guess, is that there are a lot of Christian anarchists who, um, who don't believe in the political process. And I was curious if that was the direction that you were going in, or if that was one of your arguments, you know, like against political activism. It, it used to be actually a, a couple of years ago, that probably would have been my position. And, and I was actually involved in the Muses caucus very early on. And that's when I began wrestling with this kind of thing, because I, I realized, wait a second, I'm, 
like going out and knocking on people's doors and talking to them about libertarianism sounds like like I'm I'm like I'm spitting into Kinda the sounds wind. like religion a little bit like some religions. Well, yeah, that that too. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it's like it's like this is like I, I this is spitting into the wind. This is this is never going to turn the tide. This isn't how um this isn't how societies move. Societies aren't directed by niche political parties. That just isn't that just isn't how it works. That isn't how it moves. Politics is something that people go to who already believe in an idea, and they go to take this institution and use it to pursue their idea. Um, so trying to use a political party as a, as a, an evangelistic platform is a, is a, a cart before the horse thing. But so so a couple of years ago, I would have been in the Christian anarchist um, uh, position. I was like, you know, Jesus was an anarchist, yada yada yada. And um, part of my growing to understand, kind of almost directly flip flopping to where um, I now view anarchy as. The, the people who, who push anarchy, I believe, are, are well-meaning. I, I, I understand where they're coming from because I was there as well. But I think that they're, they're deceived to an extent because the, the picture of anarchy that they have uh, doesn't actually, if applied to the real world, it would create absolute evil. Um, anarchy is actually a, a tool of evil. And uh, so there's a disconnect between what, they, um, what they're trying to create and the method that they're using to create it. And you can't confuse the ends for the means. So today, no, I wouldn't be considered to be morally wrong to get involved in the political process. I do think it's morally wrong to get involved in the political process in a futile manner. I think it's a waste of resources and, um, and ultimately probably signs you and your family, not you specifically, but someone in general, signs them up for, um, for uh, like it puts, puts them in potential danger as, we, as I uh, outlined a little bit ago. So my perspective on, I guess, the intersection of Christianity and individualism is I, I think they're very compatible. And, and I think that's important for the Ron Paul revolution. You know, Ron Paul was obviously, you know, is a, is a great Christian man. I think that God created the individual. And so I think that that means that individual freedom and individuality is a worthwhile pursuit. God didn't create a collective. Um, and he didn't create us as slaves. I, he, he created mankind in his image, you know, and, and I think that says a lot about the value of the individual and, you know, the highest values in the libertarianism is individual sovereignty and two other highly regarded values are, um, freedom of speech and property rights. And what did God do in Genesis? He, he spoke things into existence and he gave mankind dominion over earth. And I think that's pretty heavy stuff. And even if someone doesn't believe in God, I think it stands to reason that it's an archetypal story that's lasted like thousands of years and transformed human civilization. So I think that those are really good values to uphold. And I think that's why they're some of the values that we promote in libertarianism. We're speaking like in the context of politics and the issue of individual sovereignty, I think is, is very relevant to politics. So when I talk about that sort of stuff, I'm not necessarily promoting Christianity, but I am promoting values that Christianity promotes because I think they're very worthwhile. And that's why they have persisted throughout the ages. So I just think that's a really important thing for people to note, you know, like the Ron Paul revolution have really picked up on a lot of that with the story of the remnant. And so I like to give it, you know, the attention I think it deserves.
this is actually the heart of what kind of led me down the path to where I am now was trying to understand the historical background of each major event over the last started with decades and then went back to centuries. And I kept going back and back further. And I, I came from the position where I would have said exactly what you just said. That was, that was exactly the, the, um, the understanding that I had. And, uh, I, I realized that the, 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 the depiction of it that you just gave is, uh, is, it's very, I think it's very close to right, but the part of it that's not right is so wrong that it, that it directly, it like completely flips it. Um, and it, and it's the story that you told is, um, it, it is a massively transformed. It's the most powerful story that's ever been told. But the majority of human history that's heard that story didn't understand it in the way that you just, just told it. That's a relatively recent, um, kind of retelling, reframing of the story post enlightenment. And part of the enlightenment was the continuation of the Reformation, which was a decentralizing movement. It was a movement away from central authority and decentralized down. You, you referred to, and, and the, the Enlightenment ultimately was the, the ultimate decentralization down to the point of the individual. And then with what it did at that point is it said, the individual is sovereign, but you just, you just referenced individual sovereignty. There's yeah. a problem, though. With, from the perspective of Christianity, the individual is not sovereign. God is sovereign. And human beings were not created in his image. The, the word there is, we're created to be his imagers. He said, let, man, let us go and make man to be our imagers, to image me. We are, we are created to be conduits for Christ, for Christ to be imaged through us. So you, you said that, the, that human beings were created as an individual. They weren't created as a collective. And what I would say is that human beings were created as a tribe. God created man, and then he created woman together because man couldn't be alone. He created woman to be with him. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply, create communities, create tribes, people, and then take dominion over the world. And that is a, uh, that leads you, if you follow this train of thought, I, I know you had to go after this, so I don't know how long we want to, we want to take this. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, finish your thought, but I think we are, we're going in what I find to be a fascinating direction, but it is getting a little away from, right. from the original proposition. So I'll finish your thought and then I think we'll kind of try to wrap things up. What I would ultimately say is that um, I believe this is part of the message that I want to want to get to people is that this understanding of Christianity is actually, um, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be so extreme as to say that it's an explicit Luciferian um, uh, tactic where it's, okay. it's, it's taking it's taking the story of Christianity and it takes God out and it puts man at the head of it. And it creates this idea of the individual as the individual is sovereign and we've recreated God in the image of man. And this is this was the 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 tool of the or the uh, the realization of the Enlightenment thinkers upon which classical liberalism was built. Classical liberalism ultimately is 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 a form of self worship, the capital S self self worship, where the role of society is to recreate man into the ideal man, for for society to function as God. And 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 there's. There's a lot of metaphysical connections here. If you want to know more about this, go read, go listen to the podcast, Lord of Spirits. I don't want to drag this out too much more because we've really opened a real big can of worms here. But I've I'll already listened this. to it. Yeah, this conversation okay. is deserving of uh, maybe a multi-hour, you know, multi-person uh, panel because I, I am fascinated by it. But um, I'll just yeah. say this last thing: that God is the King of Kings. Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the King of Kings. He wouldn't be the King of Kings if kings were immoral. 
All right, Angela, you can, if you want to sprinkle in a response All to that right. in your in your closing statement, I'll let you. But uh, since I did uh, let you start off, I will let Matt be the last word. So why don't you Do give it. your closing statement first, then I'll toss it back to Matt. To Matt. Angela, hey, uh, I'm I was tossing, so yeah, yeah, I was tossing it to you to you first. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, okay. I understand. Sorry. Yeah. 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 All good. I might have phrased um, it weird. Okay. So let's let's backtrack a little bit. And I do have to hop off in about five minutes if we can kind of kind of keep these little little tighter since I think we've you know I think it's a summary and any additional points you want to add will do. All right. How was Sauron defeated? By throwing the ring in the fire, but not by taking the ring and assuming a uh, power in Mordor. So let's uh, let's be clear on that. I, I would say the Ron Paul Revolution 2.0 is happening with or without you. Every person participating in this debate was impacted positively by the Ron Paul Revolution. We owe it to our future selves, to future generations to have Revolution 2.0, and the world is ripe for it. The propaganda of past generations grew up with is being peeled back by the information age. It's something that's grown remarkably since the first wave of the Ron Paul Revolution. And the effects of this new thing are just being seen. And I think it's going to blow apart the cathedral's fragile monopoly of information. Um, and that's one of the reasons we're seeing secession movements. Uh, is libertarianism a philosophy? Sure. But the human action described by Mises is a description of how things happen in reality. And we are seeing it happen in real time, even though it's a little rough right now. And the Ron Paul revolution is like a shepherd for all the black sheep. Uh, I think we're catching people as they unlatch from the machine and guiding them towards the concept of liberty. And who are we to tell people that they are too stupid or undeserving of personal freedom? Um, this is why Ron Paul relates us to the story of the remnant. Like that is our purpose. Our purpose is to go out there and preach the good word of freedom to the masses. And even if many of them ridicule and hate us, it's all about that remnant. Those people who they're obscure and scattered and barely hanging on and they need us to encourage them and gather them together and keep going. Because when all of society goes to hell and everything finally burns down, we are going to be the ones who rebuild it. So help us rebuild it now. We need Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. It's going to happen, so you might as well get on board. All right, Matt, and uh, your closing remarks. In order to destroy the ring of power, it first had to be picked up and carried. Ultimately, you don't have rights. You have responsibilities. You were born into responsibilities. You have responsibility to yourself. You have responsibility to your family. Then you have responsibility to your community. Ultimately, politics is directed and run by wealth, power, and influence. If a political party is going to get something done, the first thing they've got to do is go ask people for money. If you want to control the outcome, you have to first control your own outcome. You have to control the source of your money. You have to control your own life, take control of it, protect your family, look out for, the, for those closest to you. And once you've done that, work out in concentric circles from that nearest point. Ultimately, this regime is collapsing. And if we're going to, to, to replace it with something, it's not going to be by trying to take the old tired route through institutions that are controlled by people who hate us and, and, and uh, are, are looking for an excuse to destroy us. The way out will be by creating something new. Give people something else on the market to, 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 to take that is, is better than the options they have currently in front of them, and they will take it. We don't need to save the state. We need to destroy it, get rid of it, move beyond it completely, and replace it with something completely different. We don't know what that is yet. That's a project that has to be started now. 
once that project has been completed, sure, go through your political party and p- call people to, call people's attention to this new thing. We don't have that new thing yet. I want people to put their heads down and start creating it. And that begins with you controlling the source of your own income, looking out for yourself, making sure that you can live anywhere, that you can be free yourself. Once you've made sure that you can be free yourself, then you can give that to other people. Until you have liberty, you can't spread it. All right. Well, uh, Angela, Matt, uh, I thank both of you guys for coming on, engaging in this debate, no matter what uh, anybody's views are about this going in. I think both of you want to convince more people to share more of your points of view. So I'm glad we were able to do that here today and uh, give people the chance to make up their own minds and hopefully get their own wheels spinning um, at the end of the day. That, that's what it's all about. That's why I do the show. That's why I started the show in the very beginning was to hopefully get people thinking in a different way. So I, I think uh, both of you were able to lay your case out uh, for why they should think more in your way today so i thank you both for joining us here today uh and uh you know i don't think i need to tell you keep up the great work keep on roaring <laughs> thanks thank Mark. thanks angela appreciate it thanks, thanks a lot, guys, guys. All right, gang, I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did here on the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, it's not just the flagship you get access to by slapping that subscribe button. You also get to hear the stellar work of my compatriots here, my fellow Lions. You get Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his special esoteric. No, it's not esoteric, but it is something. His special brand of uh, of comedy, culture, and liberty every single Wednesday, slapping you upside the head with his hot takes on current events and all sorts of fun and stellar and uh, curse-laden rants over on Electric Liberty Land while John Odermatt wraps things up on Thursdays with his adventure known as finding freedom highlighting tales and stories of those who have found more freedom in their lives and helping you do the same you get that all for the price of one all three shows for the price of one that price is free you just gotta hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher to get this greatest liberty variety show on earth delivered to your earbuds three days a week. And if you're just craving for more, if you're craving for bonus content like Conspiracy Corner, if you're craving for bonus content like bonus segments with many guests, live streams with all these debates, you're going to want to head over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. You get access to all that great stuff. And then one more thing, don't forget, this entire month is sponsored by Top Lobster. You got to head over to Top lobster.com use that discount code roar for 10 percent off your order you are definitely going to find awesome gear there that you're actually going to want to wear that's the great thing about his stuff it's not just liberty stuff that we want to wear and you know you know we can you know wear at our liberty conventions you can actually wear this stuff out in public and start awesome conversations i have done this myself so again head over to toplobsta.com our sponsor for this entire debate series use discount code roar for 10 percent off that order and i will see you guys here next week until next time Live long and live free.